Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast. The, I said, hey, what's going on? Edition, as Dave Lapham joins me to discuss the end of the pre-training camp practice schedule and answer the Ask Lap questions that you submitted on Twitter. Plus, we'll hear from Frank Pollock on the return of Jonah Williams, and I'll talk to undrafted rookie wide receiver Shedrick Jackson. I believe you've heard of his uncle, Bo. The Bengals Booth Podcast is brought to you by Kettering Health, the official health care provider of the Bengals. With more than 120 care facilities and 1,500 care providers, Kettering Health is committed to guiding you to your best health. Visit KetteringHealth.org to learn more. Now, here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. It's the greatest thing since good neighbors. One of the nicest features of our house is a big outdoor deck, and there are tall, thick trees that provide a wall of privacy between the deck and our neighbor's house. Every year, those trees grow to the point where the branches become obtrusive and begin to hang way over the deck. Thankfully, my neighbor Frank is kind enough to come over and trim them as needed. And this year, it was a bigger project than usual that required some pretty significant sawing of big branches. God love Frank. He was scaling ladders that were perched against trees. He was dangling on the railing of the deck to get to certain limbs. All I had to do was take care of the cleanup. It's been said that good neighbors make a huge difference in the quality of life, and I've got an excellent one in Frank. Now, let's get to football. As you undoubtedly know by now, Jonah Williams is back. He reported on time for the mandatory minicamp, and explained why he requested a trade after the Bengals signed Orlando Brown Jr. as a free agent. The former first-round draft pick who became a dad in March was upset that he did not get a heads-up from the team before the Brown signing became public. But Jonah's come to grips with it and is ready to make the move from left tackle to right tackle. There's 64 tackle spots in the league. To have any of them is a is a crazy, amazing opportunity. I'm super grateful, you know, for the chance. Um, so, you know, plan is to play me at right tackle. I'm I'm fired up to do it. Let's go. Like, I'm I'm working my knee. I think I'm going to be cleared soon. Uh, I feel great moving around, and um, so that that was never the issue. I know that's kind of how it was made out to be, and it was never like a personal thing. I love all my teammates, love all my coaches, love the team, city fans. Like the last couple of years have just been amazing, you know, for me personally and for and for the city, and we've really felt that. Um, so, yeah, that's that's most of the points that I just wanted to clear up about it. You know, I'm back now, mandatory mini cam. I'm going to be back day one of training camp, before day one of training camp, 100% ready to grind, ready to roll, and you know, ready to play where the team needs me. You played the right side as a freshman at Alabama. Do you anticipate that this should be a relatively smooth move from left to right? I'm going to make it one. <laughs> Whether it is or isn't, I'm going to make it one. I'm going to be out there every day doing sets. Um, and then, you know, I've got, I think I'll have about a month before training camp of being cleared. And then I'll have all of training camp to get acclimated and get moving there. So uh, it's just, you know, I, I played left tackle for six whole seasons. Like it's, it feels, everything there feels natural to me. I've just done it so much. So I have to just retrain everything. But this is my job. Like I said, I'm a dad and 
I'm going to take sets every single day. <laughs> that's, that's all. That's my plan for the next, uh, you know, however long. So um, I'll be ready to go. Jonah dislocated his kneecap in the fifth game of the year and gutted it out without missing a start for the rest of the regular season before suffering a similar injury in the opening round playoff win over Baltimore. That caused him to miss the next two playoff games and led to offseason surgery. He looked good doing rehab work for three days this week and should be good to go for the start of training camp. For more on Jonah's return and the state of the O-line, I caught up with offensive line coach Frank Pollock. Jonah's a pro. Um, he's been busting his ass out there in California. He looks fantastic. I've seen a couple of videos of him working out in the weight room and doing some uh, agility drills out there. So I, I've been really excited about getting him here in person. He looks fantastic. and. He's a, he's a good, solid football player. He's a professional, and uh, I expect nothing nothing but great things from him. Flipping from one side to the other isn't easy, but he did play right tackle as a freshman at Alabama. How significant is that? Yeah, I mean, he, he's, he's, he's got some experience there, but he hasn't played it in a while, so I'm not going to shortchange that. And he's also been rehabbing, so I'm not going to shortchange that. But he's like I said, he's a pro. I love how he works. He knows how to prepare. And he's, he takes pride in being a technician, so I know he's going to do what it takes as far as the extra amount of work or film study to hone his, his comfort level and his ability to perform and, and excel over on the right side. While he's been rehabbing, Jackson's been getting a lot of those opportunities on the right side. How does he look? He, he looks good. He looks good. He's still trying to f sharpen his, his sword, if you will, as far as the technique's concerned out at the tackle spot. And he's a guy that's so athletic that he, he, he naturally plays well in space. Um, but he's still honing his skills on what it means to play offensive alignment and be athletic, not just being athletic, being in a good posture and demeanor throughout. But he's a smart football player. He's been studying his ass off as well. And uh, I'm excited about him as well. Orlando Brown's track record speaks for itself, but I've been amazed by the person. He might be the friendliest, most amiable guy I've ever met. How has that impacted the group? Uh, he's he's friendly off the field, but he <laughs> clearly shows some nasty on it. So that's just how we like him in the O-line room. But he's been fantastic in the room. He's, he's got great leadership qualities, and uh, I really like his, his uh, workman-like business approach, coming here being an established vet in the league, still open to learning some new tricks and having new tools in his toolbox and having a new coach coach him some different things that maybe he's done in the past. I love his attitude and his approach to it. It's been fantastic and extremely excited to have him. LC's here rehabbing. It looked like he was almost serving as an extra coach uh, during the drills today. What are your thoughts on him and his prospects of coming back? LC is great that way. He, he likes to share his experience and knowledge with the younger guys. He's always trying to help everybody out. So it's a great vibe that we got in our room in that regards. And uh, he loves to do that and help the guys out. Having been around me uh, with my time in Dallas, he knows what I'm looking for and uh, what I'm teaching. Um, he's a fun guy to coach. He is strong. He is nasty. And he's doing a great job getting his knee ready. Just a matter of time when uh, he needs to go through that process. He, he had a significant injury. So when that exactly is going to be is up to the trainers and the doctors, obviously. But uh, he's doing a great job getting himself ready mentally right now and, is, and physically as best he can with, throughout his rehab. Team's added a lot of pieces on the line the last couple of years. How do you feel about the depth of your group? Yeah, our depth has, has really improved since the, the first time uh, I, I came back here a, lot, a couple years ago. So it's, that's been great. You need it in this league. It, it's, a, it's kind of a little bit of a luxury in this league as well. So, but uh, it's been nice that the, we're able to improve. The room is getting elevated 
Uh, and that's what you want every year, constantly elevating the room. The Bengals Booth Podcast is brought to you by Bengals Picks and Ultimate Bengals. They're free to play with tickets and signed merchandise up for grabs. Find both inside the Bengals app. The Bengals drafted two wide receivers this year, Charlie Jones, a.k.a. Chuck Sizzle, in the fourth round, and the heptathlete Andre Yosivash in the sixth. They also signed three undrafted college receivers, including Shedrick Jackson out of Auburn. If you do a Google search for Shedrick Jackson 40-yard dash, you can watch footage of him supposedly running a 4-2-5 at his Auburn Pro Day. I talked to him about his speed, his first few weeks with the Bengals, and his famous uncle, Bo. I want to start with your 40-yard dash time. I've seen 4-2-5 on the internet. I've seen 4-3-1 on the internet. What's the true story? Definitely 4-2-5. Um... You know, they were throwing a lot of different stuff out there, but, yeah, I'm going to go with that 425. Well, I would expect you to go with that 425, but if that's accurate, that would be like the fourth fastest recorded, at least going by the combine. Did you know you were going to do it? Were you surprised by that number? Um, No, it did not surprise me. I've always been a fast guy growing up, and uh, I trained really hard for it. I had a great trainer down in Tampa, Florida at um, Athlete Innovations. So we worked for that, and I went out there and got it. You also had Cam Newton throwing to you at your Auburn Pro Pro Day. What was that like? Uh, it was good to have a pro quarterback coming in and, you know, get a feel for his verbiage, uh, the way he talked about routes, talked about the details of the routes, and just um, seeing the touch he has on his ball. So that was a great experience, too. We're visiting with Shedrick Jackson. Tell me about being here and how your first few weeks have, as a Bengal have gone. Uh, it's going really smooth. Uh, the transition has been great. Uh, the guys are great in the locker room, the coaches, detailing everything up on the field so that I can get the playbook uh, down quickly. So it's been a great time. I'm loving Cincinnati. Are you like a sponge watching Jamar, T, Tyler, etc.? Oh, yeah, for sure. Those are, I mean, you could say the best receivers in the league, really. So being at practice with them and watching the film on them is incredible. Uh, it's a great learning experience for me and just see what the standard is and trying to match up to it. Give me one thing that stands out about Jamar to you. Uh, just really smooth receiver. Um, really all his routes, I haven't seen a route that he can't run. So great hands, uh, just great athlete. Why did you elect to sign with Cincinnati? Um, just a winning culture. I feel like they had a great vibe around here, and that's something I want to be a part of. Obviously, I love winning. Um, talked to the receiver coach, Coach uh, Troy Walters, before. Just had a great conversation and yep, just went from there. He's a great attention to detail kind of coach. Do you already feel yourself benefiting from his guidance? Oh yeah, for sure. A lot of things that I didn't, um, wasn't exposed to in college or didn't pick up on in college, he's giving it right to me. So I've been learning with him, you know, uh, taking in everything he's saying and taking it to the field and just learning and doing it and it's helped me tremendously. You're going to be gone for about six weeks before training camp begins, but that's not a vacation time. That's a time to get better. What are you going to do? Oh, I'll be training. Um, I'm going to my spot, and I'm going to be working my butt off, taking these details down to my spot and, you know, getting to work. For people that don't know, you have a very famous uncle, Bo Jackson, arguably the greatest all-around athlete of all time. How often did you see him? Was it a relationship where you were – nearby and, and had a lot of contact growing up? Yeah, uh, second greatest athlete of all time behind me. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I 
But yeah, um, that's just a relationship. I've always, I'm the type of guy I like to keep my relationships where they are. So with him, if we want to talk about football, we can. But at the end of the day, he's my uncle. So, you know, call me to congratulate me, give me game on stuff. But other than that, you know, keep it, keep it normal. Have you seen footage of his exploits? Uh, yeah, I've seen, you know, I've seen the highlights on TV, 30 for 30s and stuff like that, but um, I'm sure I'll have some better ones coming up soon. <laughs> <laughs> I like the way you think. Appreciate your time. Thank you. Appreciate you. It's obviously going to be tough for Shedrick to make the 53-man roster. At wide receiver, the Bengals have the Cincinnati three-way of Chase, Higgins, and Boyd, plus veterans Trent and Irwin, Trent Taylor, and special teams ace Stanley Morgan, and the previously mentioned draft picks, Jones and Yossi Vosh. But the practice squad is a possibility. Here's wide receivers coach Troy Walters. A lot of upside. Um, a guy that's still learning, still developing. Um, but like the other guys, he wants, to be, he wants to be good. He picked up the offense very well, very quickly. So you don't have to worry about him not knowing what to do. And, uh, you know, he has 4-2 speed. Um, good size, good bulk, good strength. So he's a guy that kind of like Clay, you just continue to mold, develop, and uh, I think he can be he can be good. He can be a factor in this in, in the NFL. That four two's legit. It's legit. It's legit. Man can run, and uh, and now it's just being able to take that speed and, and use it to your advantage, and and um, which he's still learning how to how to how to play at a four two speed. Um, but when he when it clicks and he finally, you know develops into what I think he can become he's going to be he's going he's going to have a he's going to have a say on this roster and he's going to he's going to make it make uh make some plays in this league the Bengals booth podcast is brought to you by Paycor more than 29,000 customers trust Paycor to help them recruit pay engage and retain employees learn more at paycor.com before we get to my final guest here's a quick invitation to grab your yoga mat and join who day this Saturday, June 17th at 9 a.m. for Namaste Yoga on the field at Paycor Stadium. Register now at bengals.com slash yoga. It's presented by You by Kotex in partnership with Kroger and Title Babe Period Supply Bank. The Bengals summer practices are finished. The players are officially on their own until training camp begins on Wednesday, July 26th. It's time to check in with Dave Lapham as we share our observations following this week's mandatory minicamp and answer the Ask Lap questions that you submitted on Twitter. Lap, as you predicted on this podcast last week, Jonah Williams showed up for the mandatory minicamp and said he is willing to play right tackle. What did you think of his remarks on Tuesday? Honest. <laughs> you know, I think uh, pulled off the Band-Aid, you know, I mean, um, and uh, – dealt with whatever was going to come from a pain standpoint, I guess. You know, obviously, his feelings were hurt, bottom line. That's that's what we talked about. It's just you have to get over that. And, you know, everybody looks at uh, these professional athletes and football players. Oh, you're so big. And they're human beings with feelings, heart, you know, emotion, all of that. So he had to come to grips with all of that and – and I think he has, and he seems to be in a pretty good frame of mind now. He's moving really well. And I think there's no doubt in my mind that he's going to be there from Jump Street, from day one at training camp, competing uh, as hard as he possibly can. 
He's always been a hard worker, a very studious, conscientious, short. Do you anticipate the move from left to right for him is going to be relatively seamless? I do. You know, if you've played it before, which he has, mm-hmm. you know, there is there is some muscle memory that you're going to be able to draw upon. And he is athletic. You know, I mean, he does have athleticism for, for sure. So, um, like he said, this, this offensive line group is, is a big body group that is athletic and has an intelligence. You know, he's excited about what's going on with the offensive line. He wants to be part of it. And I, I think that he'll make that transition pretty darn effectively. My biggest takeaway from watching these practices for the last several weeks is that this team is deep. Every team in the NFL is going to have injuries. That is uh, inevitable in the sport of football. But other than an injury to Joe Burrow, I'll find some wood Ooh, to knock on. Man. I think they've got quality depth everywhere to be able to survive some of those injuries. agree with you 100,000%, Dan. I mean, I think they've done an unbelievable job of uh, assembling a football team. And I think it's a hell of an accomplishment to roster on this team. To make the 53-man roster is is a hell of a deal because there's competition. You know, I mean, you got starters. You, you have, you know, you have your burrows, your chases. You have your star, starters, and, and, but then there's going to be other starters that are going to be trying to fight people off, and there's nothing wrong with that. Competition breeds excellence performance. And then from a backup standpoint and special team standpoint, there's going to be battle royales. I mean, Darren Simmons is going to – control the fate of a lot of guys uh which which always is the case with regard to special teams but you've got position coaches that are going to say i really like this guy you know as my additional linebacker you know can you deal with him on special teams can you can you keep him as opposed to an extra corner or i mean that 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 scenario when you're cutting that roster down to make that final 53-man roster it's it's going to be extremely competitive and I would not be shocked if there's a trade, you know, that there's there's some discussions with other teams and somebody might, if a guy really shows out in, in training camp in the preseason games and, you know, he's kind of like locked out on, from, from a roster standpoint, he's not going to make the 53-man roster, could be a trade. Mm. It's, it's unusual, but there might, there might be one. Who knows? Get picks. You're going to need picks in the future with some of these guys commanding the salaries they're going to command. And and when you look at all the guys like you talk about, Dan, everybody belongs. You know, there's nobody like, what the hell is this guy doing here? You know, they two sixth, the seventh. You know, they put their bat on the ball at, with every round. And and honestly, it, it's not shocking to me because I mean, the draft. When I was drafted, we had 17 rounds, and we had 17th round guys. You know, make football teams. So it's no stunner to me when a seventh-round guy makes the team and, and, and shows he can play. Um, college free agents now, it's not stunning when a guy, geez, he didn't get drafted for whatever reason. Sometimes it's just you can't even figure out why the guy didn't get drafted. I mean, you, you look at the uh, college free agent, the Bengals uh, signed from uh, Washington, uh, Jackson Kirkland, 6'7", 328 pounds, and he can move. And I'm like, why the hell didn't this guy get drafted? Oh, some injuries and all that sort of thing. And just, just sometimes it's just the way it unfolds. You don't don't anticipate. But he sure looks the part. I mean, put pads on and see what he can do. But wouldn't it stun me if that guy makes the football team? Joe Burrow and Zach Taylor both did news conferences this week, and they basically said the same thing. We are ahead of where we have been in the past because nearly everybody's been in this system. 
Do you remember times like that in your playing career where you had this great continuity and when you showed up on day one, it was like you just picked up where you left off? Yeah, and, and it, it um, you know, ironically, to no surprise really, all, you know, the Super Bowl team that played on, everybody in the offensive line had been together. You, you know, your unit, first first of all, having continuity is, is big. And then when every unit has that continuity, it's it's like you have such a confidence going into the football game that you know exactly what guys can do, what they can't do, what they like, what they'd like to stay away from. I mean, it's 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 just a, a feeling that uh, – <laughs> that you can't describe and it beats no other there's no question about it and then you get in the huddle and that's I, I'll guarantee you all the guys if we asked all these guys what it's like on game day I remember when we were in that situation of being around guys and knowing guys so well and almost feeling like these aren't just team these are friends these are my buds man these are my guys and you're in that huddle and you're looking into other guys eyes and you know that dude's going to do everything he possibly can. Can't let that guy down. Can't let that guy down because I know he's not going to let me down. When you start getting that kind of a dynamic, that kind of a relationship with guys, that's when it gets really powerful, man. The synergy is unbelievable. Following up on that, you asked Joe Burrow a question the other day about reaching out to Jonah Williams while he was not here with the team. And his answer was profound. He spoke of the true love that you have for your teammates is this team unusual in that respect? I think it's special. And, and, and I, I mean, I was looking at Joe as he was saying it, and I could almost feel my eyes filling up, and I can almost sense his eyes were starting to fill, mm-hmm. fill up a little bit. I mean, as a former player, I could just totally relate to what, to what he was talking about, you know, that, and people like, oh, that's cornball, you know. You don't love, you know, people like this because they're a team. Oh, you know what, man, it's it's like it's not like you love your wife or your son or your daughter or whatever, but it's like the next thing. It's the next level. It's like as close as you can get to, to you know, not family, but the next tier. You know, it's it's like it's special. It's it's one of a kind. And and I think part of it. I use the analogy, and I and I don't mean to disrespect the military. I mean, God, there's there's no comparison between playing football and defending your country. Believe me, I understand that fully but it's like you're so codependent on a much smaller scale it's like I'm no good if this guy doesn't have my back you know I mean I might play a great game not make any mistake I gotta make sure my guy is is trying to do the same thing all of that you know you're so dependent on other people for your existence in the military survival and it's not obviously to that extent but you're you're future wins and losses you know how long you might play in the league a lot of things are are codependent with guys around you and being in the right environment the right the right combination of players there's a lot of luck involved but man when you find it and you get there you don't want to lose it you want to keep it at all costs so it's been a while since we have taken ask lap questions so i pointed the lap signal into the cincinnati sky And here's what we got. Question number one comes from Marty. Is Drew Sample someone that could surprise us with a decent season reception-wise, or is he strictly a blocking tight end? Yeah, Drew Sample has been um, amazing in his recovery. He's ahead of schedule. Um, You know, you and I have both watched him 
go out there and try to do everything on a full speed basis for quite a while and maybe had a little hitch in the get along in so doing, but he was bound and determined to, to get out there and not fall behind. He wanted to be in, in tune and in step with everything that they were doing offensively. It's important to this guy. I mean, uh, playing in the National Football League, specifically playing for the Cincinnati Bengals with Joe Burrow at quarterback and everything that they got going on with this football team. He's the kind of guy that feels a tremendous amount of loyalty to the franchise. They give him the opportunity, drafting him in the second round out of college. He thinks the world of his position coach, thinks the world of the head coach, thinks the world of his teammates. Yeah, it would not shock me if Drew Sample had a, a significantly sound bounce back year, you know, in terms of complete tight end. I'm not saying go out and catch 70 balls, you know, but, I, but I'm saying a guy that, uh, um, you know, when, when, when he's in the two tight end package, yeah, we don't need to worry about him. He's just a third tackle. You know, it's like uh, Earth Smith Jr., we got to make sure we tilt our coverage here. I mean, he could, he could, you know, be a guy that uh, sneaks up on people and, it would be well-deserved, that's for sure. He had 40 catches in Joe Burrow's rookie year, so there is a bit of a track record there, but his targets will depend on Irv Smith Jr. If Irv Smith Jr. is healthy, he's going to project to 50 to 60 catches, something like that, similar to Hayden Hurst and C.J. Uzama. Yep. And if that's the case, then there are only so many balls to go around, and Andrew Sample will not be targeted all that often. Absolutely. And, and, and the thing, the great thing, or one of the great things about Drew Sample, he'll be fine with that. Mm-hmm. He's a total team guy. You know, it's not about Drew Sample. It's about the tight end position, and it's about the Cincinnati Bengals offense, and it's about the Cincinnati Bengals football team winning football games. And, you know, you can't have enough of those of those kind of guys for sure. Um, but like you said, Irv Smith Jr., um, he's he's a pretty good athlete, and he runs good routes. And he gets in and out of his cuts. He's very, very fluid with his movements. He's a very smooth operator. They, they – could have a pretty good one-two punch at that tight end position. The next question comes from Jason. How did DJ Turner and Jordan Battle look during minicamp, the second and third round draft picks? Jordan Battle really impressed me um, with with his not only his physical ability, and, and that's hard to tell because you know they don't have shoulder pads on, and um, and at the safety position, you know that's where you got to come downhill and dislodge people and all that sort of thing, but. Is he where he's supposed to be when he's supposed to be there? Yes. Does he understand uh, the scheme and the responsibility within that scheme that Lou Anarumo is asking him to do? Yes. Does he recognize things offensively and communicate with his teammates like a veteran already? Yes. That's what you and I talked about it more than once Mm -hmm. as we were watching him out on the football field. Look at this guy, you know, reading it, communicating it to his corners. It's like, man, he looks like he's very, very comfortable He's a quick processor. He understands what uh, Lou Anarumo is installing very, very quickly, assimilates it, can take it from the board to the field. A lot of guys can do a great job and, you know, rewrite anything on the board. They get on the field, and all of a sudden it's 100 miles an hour. It's the Audubon, and it's like, eh, doesn't translate. His translates big time, and it translated right away. So that's the thing that I'm very impressed with about him. It's he's ready to go. I mean, he's... He's up to speed. Mm-hmm. It's not like I'm waiting for Jordan Battle to catch up. He's like, "What do you got for me now, Coach? I'm ready. You know, I'm re- I'm ready to roll. What What's the adjustment to this? And what's the wrinkle on that? What's the tweak here? Uh, he's he's I think he's very very impressive. 
Uh, Turner, um, to me, he's, he's, he's a blur. He's fast. And he can flip his hips and run. I want to see him a, a little, utilize the speed a little bit more, recognizing and having the confidence to break on the route, break on the ball. That's what Jordan Battle's doing. He's so sure he's almost there before it happens. Turner's not quite there in that part of it yet. But when, when he gets up on a receiver's hip and he has to flip his hips and run with him, no problem. But, you know, a route like where he has to slam on the brakes and then decide to break on the ball, come back and get after it, little hesitant there from what I've seen. And it's not like it can't, you know, it can't be uh, corrected or improved upon or whatever. But And, he, and he's got potential. He's a, he's a player. They're not going to run by you, and that's the biggest fear is, oh, Jesus, every time he's out there throwing it over his head. That's not going to happen. So it's it's much easier to make adjustments to things in front of you than saying, okay, you got to get faster, and you know, or you have to have a better – your hips have to be more fluid. you got to flip your hips, son, and get get out of that uh, – and, and run down the football field. He can do that, and that's the primary requisite, I think, to, to being able to play corner in the NFL. I'll throw something else in that I like about Jordan Battle. He is thick in all the right places. I mean, as a safety, you've got high-speed collisions in the secondary. You've got to take on running backs who already have a head of steam built up. He's big in the lower body, big on the backside. He looks like a guy who's going to be able to weather the violent hits that you take at the safety position. Right, and I think he's going to be a thumper. I think he'll be the hitter and not the hitty. you know. Mm-hmm. He's the guy that's going to deliver the punishment. I, I agree with you, Dan. I think uh, – and he's not going to be the least bit hesitant to do it. Um, like we talked about before, Saban talked about this guy like, you know, he's the best football player on the defensive side of the, the ball that he's had. And when you have Saban being that effusive in his praise, you've done something right. You've done a bunch of things right. You've checked a lot of boxes for Coach Saban. There's no question. Here's an interesting question from Wyatt. Did you consider the white uniforms – in the snowy playoff game against Buffalo to be an unfair advantage. I'm going to editorialize here and even remove the word unfair. Was it even an advantage, white unis in a snowy game? No, I don't think so. <laughs> I, re- I really don't. I really don't. I mean, to me, it's like, okay, well, what would the advantage be? The, the ball's dark. On a white background, the ball shows up better. It's easier to follow the ball. Where is the ball? Where is he holding the ball? I'm just trying to think think of the advantage you mean it's like the Bengals were the invisible men and all of a sudden they appear out of the snow because of the white uniforms and they're blasting the Buffalo Bills it's like they disappeared now I think I think we're I think we're going into a little bit of a a stretch there I do think and we commented about it right away Dan and we I remember talking about it multiple times during the course of the game the Bengals traction they were on their feet and the Buffalo Bills were slip sliding away you know and, and they've they're the team that's been in the snow. It's their field. I was I was surprised that from a footing standpoint, the Bengals seemed to handle it a little bit better. That's the thing that struck me during the course of the game. When I thought about the game in retrospect, I thought that was a, a big deal. I thought that for whatever reason, the traction uh, differential was the was the big uh, difference in that football game. Kudos to Adam and everybody in the Bengals equipment room Bingo. for getting the Bengals in the right shoes. Bengals Bubs has the next question. Where the heck does Cody Ford fit on this offensive line? Yeah, he's uh, um, position versatility. He's played tackle and guard. 
So, you know, that's that's a plus for him. I think he is going to be in the free-for-all at right tackle. I think he wants to throw his hat in the ring there. Um, Collins, I mean, you don't know when he's going to be available. LC will not be there from Jump Street. Uh, I think Jonah Williams will be there from Jump Street. Uh, Jackson Carmen is going to get a shot at that uh, at that right tackle position, and and I think I think Cody Ford will as well. I think that's where he'll compete, and then his ability to kick inside and play either guard, and and maybe pl- be able to play either tackle. Again, like we talked about, depth, not only the starters but depth in the in the backups in the offensive line, and if you're a depth player in the offensive line, you have to be able to play more than one position. He has shown that he can play more than one position at the NFL level. So he's got he's got a definite shot to be a factor with the O-line. We started out talking about Jonah Williams. Here's a question from Michael. What's the difference between left tackle and right tackle? And would Jonah find it easier to play left guard if Lael Collins is healthy and could play right tackle? Yeah, you would think that uh, it would be an easier situation. I can tell you from experience that kicking inside to left guard after having played some left tackle, it is. Now now you're used to, you know, the, the left-handed techniques being you're in a left-handed stance and everything that goes along with it, hand placement-wise and all that sort of thing, and, and, uh, and moving your feet in that left-handed stance. The the biggest adjustment is, is exactly that. You know, it's like – You've written your entire life right-handed, and then you try to write left-handed. It's not that extreme because it's not the fine muscles of, you know, being able to write in a short space. But, I mean, you have to be able to, to, to move your feet. You're just flipping everything in your mind. So some people cannot do that. Some people just are right-side-minded and some are left-side-minded and, and, and can't flip, flip back and forth. If you can, and Jonah obviously has shown that he can because he did it in college. He played the right side. He played the left side. So he has a history where at at a very good level in the SEC, at a very good program, Alabama, he played both both tackles. Uh, And and that that is the biggest thing. It's just, okay. And and I remember when I was playing all the positions, and this sounds dumb, but it's like, okay, remember now, okay, it's left guard. All right, make sure, okay, left guard, here's your assignment, okay, left guard, here's the footwork. Here's, you're going through all that in, in your head, and just in the beginning, it's almost like you have to take a step-by-step, step, and then after you do it for a while, it becomes, you know, second nature. You don't have to go through the, the step-by-step step process, but um, I, I think he'll adjust. I think he'll adjust well. And really, in the past, left tackle was, all right, well, the most athletic quickest off the ball guy as a pass rusher is going to be over there at right defensive end. In today's NFL, they're everywhere. They're everywhere. So it used to be, you know, Anthony Munoz, that's the best pass rusher. We got the best tackle in football. We're erasing your best pass rusher. And not only that, we don't have to help him to erase. He's going to race him by himself. We're going to help all these normal guys, you know, are going to help uh, block these other normal guys inside. Um, so it – it has turned into a league. They throw it so much, and uh, the pass rush has become such a huge factor. Still, do you have your most dominant pass rusher at right defensive end? Probably, but it's not like, hmm, there's a big drop-off, and 
you know, other guys are just guys. They're all quality pass rushers now. And, uh, and usually, you know, it used to be the left tackle is the athletic guy and the right tackle is maybe a guy with a little more girth, a little more power, a little more thump. And I, that's not necessarily the case anymore either. So I, I, think, I think Jonah, he'll, he'll be fine. I mean, Jonah's a, uh, a smart guy that uh, has good technique, fundamentals. He's sound. Um, he, you know, now he's committed. And now that he's committed, once a guy like that is on that page, I think he's going to play well. As you describe the difference between playing the left side and the right side, in my mind, I'm picturing like the feet on the ground in an Arthur Murray dance studio that shows, you know, yeah. where every step has to go. That's kind of what it sounded like. It, it, exactly. It is. It's like, okay, I'm now, I, I'm just inverting. You know, my, my, my kick step is now my post foot, and now my old post foot is now my kick step. You're just reversing everything. And, um, you know, as I say, some, some guys, it's, it's more of a – <laughs> more of a task a task to get done than it is for others. J.E. writes, how are Andre Yosivash and Charlie Jones looking out there? Yeah, I, Andre is, uh, is, has got a skill set. I mean, he's a, he's a big, strong tight end, or excuse me, wide receiver that uh, runs, runs really good routes, can catch the football. Uh, I, I think he's extremely physical. I think he's going to be a guy that's going to be tough to tackle. Uh, it's going to be interesting to watch him. Um, obviously, being the pentathlete, he's he's got immense athletic ability for a guy of his body type. Heptathlete. Don't jip him out of two events. Yeah, that's right. Heptathlete. My bad. <laughs> My bad. Heptathlete. Uh, he's, he's like a rare athlete. You know, he's an unusual guy, obviously. Charlie Jones is, is a guy that, uh, you know, Jamar Chase was talking about as, as – uh, the mini camp, the mandatory mini camp, was winding down about how he's putting different uh, wrinkles in his routes and and running routes differently. But he's got to be at a certain spot in a timely fashion because Burrow's getting the ball there, and it's up to him to get there. So in his head, he has a clock. But like Fred Bolitnikov is a guy that back in the day, this dude ran a nine-yard out route nine different ways. I mean, he'd come off the ball, and it's like, is he going to run a slant? Is he going to run a post? Is he co- I mean, he looked – he was doing the same thing, and at the top of his route, everything was still in play. And that's what made Bolitnikov great. And I think that's what Jamar's trying to get to. It's like, okay, well, they're not going to just be able to read my shoulders and hips and know that I'm – you know, I'm, I'm going to run an in-cut now. So Charlie Jones has a lot of that. Mm. Charlie Jones, I think, has, a, has some innate ability to, to make the same route look different. He's a really good route runner. Um, he gets in and out of his cuts, sinks his hips well, he, and you know he's he's got good hands. That's going to be the key: is will he catch the ball? Because he can run, he can run sub sub four five. He's a four fours guy, and he can run routes. I think that uh, anybody that catches over a hundred balls for over thirteen hundred yards, doing something right in, in a season. JB sent a few questions. We've covered some of it. I've picked out this question, though. Will Chase Brown be running back two? That's going to be that's, – that's interesting. I think he's – he definitely, in my mind, has the physical attributes to, do, to be that way. And it seems like he has the makeup. He just – some guys you can tell right away, oh, this, this guy gets it. This guy will have – no problem understanding uh, what's to be asked of him, you know, and, and, and no problem delivering. Um, 
His track record shows success, no doubt about that, as a, as a big-time ball carrier. I think it's going to depend on that you know he can run the football. He can catch the football. How will he block? How will he handle protection? Because with number nine, I don't care who the running back is, whatever running back's on the football field, when they come with an all-out blitz and that running back's responsible for somebody, you got to make sure you execute your assignment and that guy does not hit Joe Burrow. That is a big, big requirement and prerequisite, there's no doubt. From Bengals and Brews, with Lael Collins seemingly ahead of schedule, are the Bengals most likely to put him on the pup list for six weeks? And then, if he's ready for week one, would they pay the right tackle spot $22.5 million to keep him and Jonah Williams? That's 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 what they're mulling over as we speak. I mean that that's, that's some of the things they're thinking about. I mean, he. In fact, I was just talking with him today, uh, Dan. Ironically, at uh, out on the practice field, and Anthony Munoz and I were, you know, asking him about because he's he's moving pretty well. And I said, do you do you consider you're still ahead of schedule? And he said, I, I do. Um, and I, I said, well, you know, my advice is. Don't do too much too quickly. You don't want to have a setback. You don't want to have a, you know, a deal where all of a sudden, man, it was going so well, and now, you know, I have to go through the the mental anguish of I'm back where I was like a month and a half, two months ago. You don't want to do that. And he's like, no, no, I, I get that. Um, so it is it, obviously he's not going to be ready for training camp. What at what point in the regular season? will it look like he'll be ready? And, you know, they're so far away from being able to determine that right now. But these are the things that you have to think about. Mm-hmm. These are the things that you have to ponder in your mind. And, um, you know, will would he be able to return uh, before week six? How far before week six? You know, w- would, you, would you make that move, put him on the pup list? You know, would you say, geez, I think he might be ready after week two. You know, he may be ready to go. You know, in, in in the third game, you know, th- those are those those are things to be determined, I guess. I also don't think that twenty two point five million dollar figure is accurate. Jonah's going to make twelve plus, uh, but a lot of Elsie's money was tied into playing time, starts, things like that. So Except I don't think he's right. yeah, I don't think he's getting ten uh, if he's not the starting right tackle. I think his situation depends partly on who else they're able to sign. I mean, you don't want to let the guy go until you have to. You never know who might get hurt. I mean, knock on wood, but if tackles were to go down, it's a nice luxury to have a really solid player in Lael Collins. But if Burrow signs, if T. Higgins signs, if Logan Wilson signs, then the reality kicks in where somebody might have to go and and he would – logically be a, a, a candidate if he's not the starting right tackle right then then you're going from you know the luxury department store to walmart you know i mean it's like <laughs> the budget changes so um yeah it's it, it there's there's always it's never just cut and dried one thing there's always a bunch of you know extraneous factors <laughs> that are, are big time variables that are going to control your future Here's a question from Willie. Who aren't we talking about enough? Is there a key player that fans should be paying more attention to? We talked quite a bit about Jordan Battle. He's kind of the first guy that comes to mind for me. Anybody else for you? You know, there's there's so many guys. You know, 
it, it's like, all right, Jordan Battle at, at the uh, at, at the at the safety position, and you know, then you uh, then you think, all right, Nick Scott, what, how how is he how is he going to pan out at the safety spot? That when when you think the biggest thing to me with okay, a loss, you lose two starting safeties. What do you have at the safety position? Well, you draft Jordan Battle, and you know you got uh, you got Nick, uh, you've got other players that you know are gonna are gonna line up and and battle at that uh, at that spot as well. So I, it, to me, Tyson Anderson is going to be interesting to watch. Dax Hill, how much improvement will there be with Dax Hill? One of my focuses is probably going to be the safety position because that's where you know the the most damage was done in free agency. So how how is that going to sort itself out? Um, you know, I, I think the back end, you know, a, as a whole, is is uh, is something to watch because you know you've got um, guys recovering from from surgery and injury on the, on that back end. You got young guys competing. Uh, you know, Cheeto. How 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 will Cheeto be from from day one at training camp? Well, who knows? We, we don't exactly know yet. So. To me, I think one of the the way everybody throws the football in the National Football League, I think that back end is is going to be the the biggest question that I have. Not that they don't have players, but who who are the guys that are going to step up and really grab hold of those roles and, and excel? I'll throw another name in there for somebody that I don't think people are talking about enough: Zach Carter. Yeah. Uh, DJ Reader and BJ Hill are going to get the bulk of the snaps inside, but you need somebody to rotate in there. He looks good to me. He does. He does, and I think uh, you know he, he's a he's a young guy that you know it's like all right from from uh, you know Jeff Gunter too. He's had some injury issues, but from year one to year two is when you usually make your biggest jump. And Zach Carter, year one to year two, he he made. Big contributions. He he was a definite rotation, a valuable rotational player as a rookie. I agree. He 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 understands what it takes now. Um, I, he could he could very well be a guy that uh, makes makes a, a bigger impact on a on a game by game basis for Lou Anarumo and company. Here's an interesting question from Brent. Toward the end of your career. What was your main reason for retirement? Was it physical, mental, family-related, or other? And did you dream you would still be broadcasting in 2023? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, will t- I will say that um, the back-to-back season at age 32 and 33, uh, when I played a, a full slate for the Bengals in 1983, took two weeks off, then went to the USFL and went to training camp and played a full slate of 20-plus games, counting playoffs and preseason games there at the age of 32, turn, you know, working into the 33rd year. That was a taxing scenario. <laughs> I mean, you talk about rigor mortis, man. I mean, I would literally come home from practice. And I, I had a very old-school offensive line coach by the name of Bill Austin, B.A., and he was the line coach uh, for, for Vince Lombardi when uh, he was coaching with the Washington Redskins. And B.A. was an old offensive lineman himself. So back in those days, you didn't practice, you didn't play. So it's like, yeah, you know, I, I know you're stiff. I know you're, you you got to practice. 
If you don't, if you miss this practice today, you ain't playing this Sunday. Okay. So it was unbelievable. And I, I remember just shuffling up the stairs, you know, during the week after a tough practice and laying on the couch and, you know, my wife Lynn would serve dinner on the couch. <laughs> I, I was, I was there for the night. I mean, I'd fall asleep there and sleep there all night. I mean, it was unbelievable. It, it, it was a uh, survival getting through that season and then had an had NFL offseason to recover a little bit and then play that final year. And it was just, yeah, I was, I was beaten up. At that point, I was like, ooh, man, I need an uh, oil can. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that was the biggest factor. And then, and then um, not, did I ever think that I'd be, you know, going into year number 38 as a, as a color analyst on the Bengals radio network? No. Never, never thought of that. I mean, I, I honestly, and we've talked about this before. I, I really thought I might coach, but um, going to Syracuse University, like we both did in the Newhouse School of Communications, my, you know, my backup plan was to do something in the broadcast world, potentially print or electronic media. You know, um, and I knew I wanted to stay with the game of football in some way, shape, or form. I just like, I like the life. I like the people like everything about you know football and and to be able to say you know I was able to do it pretty much in some way shape or form you know almost my entire life from like high school on it's crazy crazy our friend James Rapine has a question podcaster writer YouTube star yeah. etc we all saw the footage of Joe Burrow going deep in batting practice before Cincinnati Reds game recently here's his question which of your former teammates would have won a home run derby. Anthony Munoz. <laughs> <laughs> no hesitation. <laughs> None. Anthony uh, was a relief pitcher third baseman on the USC National Championship baseball team. So, I mean, I played in a, in a celebrity softball game with Anth, and uh, it was the, the Coors Light All-Stars, and uh, we, we were, we were uh, in that game together. He, he was playing third base, and he – the ball's hitting the hole. He cut the shortstop off, which, you know, third base is supposed to do if he can. And then he just opened up his hips and shoulders and threw across, you know, the diamond. The thing started out by second base, and I was playing first base. I stretched. It hit me right in the stone of the hand, right under the index. My index finger, middle finger, and thumb all went numb immediately. <laughs> like the umpire signals, calls out, and I throw the, the glove and the ball off my hand. I'm like, oh, my gosh. He threw a seed. And then uh, the field was pretty significant, but then there were woods, like a very good distance. He put one in the trees, man. I'm like, <laughs> big boy, here we go. Yeah, Anthony, unbelievable athlete, unbelievable athlete. Now, that's not to say that – you know, there were a lot of other guys that got drafted out of high school, um, and there were there were many. I mean, it's, you you get to this level, um, you have you have guys that very strong high school baseball players that were drafted mm -hmm. in in uh, Major League Baseball, but decided to go to college to play football and and maybe football and baseball, and decided to tr stay on the football path. But uh, yeah, I mean. I take uh, I take big number seventy eight. He gets a he gets a full cut at one. I'm saying it's going a ways. It's going a distance. Our final question comes from Leona, and let me say in advance, I like the way Leona thinks. Here's the question: Where will the organization 
put the Lombardi trophy <laughs> when the Bengals hoist that baby high. And then seriously, is there an area in the stadium where fans will be able to view it? You know, they do have an area in the stadium where they display, you know, throughout the stadium where they display like um, AFC championship trophies and, and all that sort of thing. Um, but, yeah, interesting. You, you, you want the fans to be able to experience that. I, I honestly think that that the uh, AFC championship trophies, trophies, even though it's not the big prize, it's a good consolation prize. And, and I think the fans would appreciate being able to being able to see it, um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe on game day, you have uh, you know an area where you can put those kind of trophies and then put them back where they are uh, the rest of the uh, rest of the week and the rest of the year and so forth. But yeah, I don't see anything wrong with uh, with allowing the fans to to celebrate in the in the pure joy of those trophies. There's no doubt. I gave this some thought. Here's how you do it. You take out a wall or a chunk of a wall on uh-huh. the backside of the Bengals Pro Shop. Okay. And so it's got bulletproof glass or some impenetrable yep. glass on both sides yep. so that as you go into the Pro Shop, you know, you can view it from that angle. And then on the other side, it's exposed to the concourse of the stadium so you can view it from that angle. So a real good opportunity to get up close and see the Lombardi Trophy when the Bengals <laughs> earn it this coming February. Good call, and boy, will there be a log jam? There'll be a bunch of cars, a bunch of, a bunch of people. The the uh, the traffic uh, back there at the pro shop, and it's a good move, good idea, Dan. Good marketing move too, because, uh, yeah, while we're here looking at it, we might as well go in the pro shop. What the heck? Particularly if you have your kids, grandkids with you, it's like, come on, let's go, let's go inside, see where we got. What can we get to commemorate uh, the occasion of looking at the Super Bowl trophy? Good call, good call all the way around, my man. Another successful Ask Lap session. So happy that I pointed that lap signal into the Cincinnati sky. My pleasure, sir. Uh, I can't think of a better way to spend some time than with my man, Dan. That's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast, brought to you by Kettering Health, the official health care provider of the Bengals, by Bengals Picks and Ultimate Bengals. They're free to play with tickets and sign merchandise up for grabs by Paycor, the official HR software provider of the Bengals, and by AltaFiber, future-proof fiber internet. Elevate your connection with AltaFiber. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to this podcast, and if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find us. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.